Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. And if you're coming across the podcast for the first time, this is a podcast for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate doing all of that work to get the meeting only to have it fall short in the very first conversation you have with them. Today, we're talking about discovery. So if you're getting good meetings as an SDR, BDR setup for your AE, or you're an AE listening to this and you feel like, hey, my closing rates are not quite where they want to be, where they should be, where I want them to be, you're really going to dig this episode with Megan Mishak. And we're going to talk about a discovery call formula that you can use if you hate getting ghosted. Let's get to the episode. So one of the things that I get asked a lot, because I don't know if you've noticed in the podcast, if you've listened for a while, we've been talking about sales stuff more too. And coming up, what we're going to do is we're going to start offering programs to help people with both ends because uh, the outbound stuff is really good. But if you don't do a great discovery call, it's, it's a bit of a waste. And one of the things that I get asked a lot about is, well, Jason, you know, how do I reach out to someone if they ghost me? And the thing that I immediately think of is, well, we can definitely talk about what to do now after someone's ghosted you. But what I'd rather talk about is how to prevent from getting ghosted. And one of the th- big keys to that is really two things. One, you want to make sure that you have something quantified. So through the sales process, what you need to have is, have you quantified the problem for them? Do they know what the impact is of not taking action? So for me, it's if your sales team is not setting enough appointments, what's the impact of that? Are you having to let go of reps? Are certain reps carrying the load? Are you guys not getting the right deals in the pipeline? Is it affecting revenue? Like I need to understand the impact and quantify the problem. The other thing that is missing usually too is connecting it to something that's important to the prospect. So just because we quantify something doesn't mean that they're going to care about it. Point being, if I quantified something customer success related in retaining clients, I don't think the marketing team, a VP of marketing or CMO would care much about that specific problem. They might connect me to someone they can, but I don't think they're going to care much about that. So just because you have something qualified doesn't mean that you've connected it, which is the second step. Very important step, you've connected it to something that's important to them. So an existing company-wide initiative, a department initiative, a goal, a project, something. So when those two things are missing, people tend to ghost. Because you're not talking about something that is high on their priority list, that is also quantifiable, so they know what the consequences are of not taking action. And I can think of a better person to talk to than Megan Mishak. I'm going to talk a little bit about her here as the episode gets started, but she's personally helped me a ton with my discovery. It's shortened my sales cycles down by 20 to 30%. So something that would normally take eight to 12 weeks, it's now more in that four to eight week range where I turn deals around. And I've also been able to increase my prices by 25 plus percent too. And a lot of it is having a, a good discovery process. So I give her a lot of the credit for sharing a lot of this stuff with me. You're really going to dig this one. This is the, an audio excerpt of a webinar that we did together. And it just we had a great turnout. And I wanted to give you guys an audio version of it in case you missed it. So before we get to that, as you're listening to this episode today, if you're thinking, well, hey, I'd love some help you know, applying some of those things, we have a way that we can help. It's called Outbound Squad. We have a couple dozen reps in there right now. It's application only. And the whole concept here is that I don't believe... You, if you want to become a top rep or if you are a top rep, you probably didn't get there by listening to 10 hours of podcasts and webinars every week. 
You did that by spending as much time as you can with quality prospects and opening new deals and then closing existing ones. Those are the really two buckets we want to spend as much time as possible as a sales rep. But the challenge is for that one, two, three hours a week you do spend in developing yourself, what are you spending it on that's going to move the needle the most for you? You don't need more information. You need help applying that information. And this is exactly why I started Outbound Squad. I wanted to create the best community out there that would also provide coaching and training. So how do we, instead of just building a big community with thousands of people, how do we curate the best reps, people that are in the top 10% of their company, that are willing to invest in themselves, and they want world-class coaching and training? We bundled all of that up into one place with Outbound Squad. We're getting some killer results so far. A guy named Evan is using simple bump emails to secure meetings with his prospects, which are chief analytics officers. Mark, he's using some techniques that we talk about through LinkedIn to find referrals, and he's quickly able to schedule some of these meetings and take advantage of his network. We have folks like Ethan, who's booking one out of every three cold call connects into a meeting and sort of everywhere in between. So it is a paid program. It's very challenging. I personally push every individual in this program to show up, to be accountable, to set goals, and to improve. So if you think you're up for the challenge, I'd love to hear from you. The first step is submitting an application. Like I said, it's application only. We don't let everyone in. But if you think you're up for the challenge, email squad, put that in the subject line, to jason at blissfulprospecting.co. So if this sounds like something that'd be appealing to you, the next step is to fill out an application. Email squad in the subject line to jason at blissfulprospecting.co. And I'll get back to you so you can fill out an application. Would love to hear from you if you think you're up for it. All right, let's get to the episode. Let's get started, you guys. We have a lot to cover today. I'm super excited to talk to our guest, Megan Mishak. And uh, the reason why I wanted to get Megan on the webinar today is that I've worked alongside her quite a bit, and she's actually helped me a ton with my discovery. So I've been able to level up my chops uh, talking to Megan and just consuming your content. And just a little quick background, she runs a company called The Path to President's Club. And what she spent the last five, six years doing is building sales training and enablement programs for MarTech companies. So companies like NewsCred, Movable Inc., shorts with really large sales teams, helps them with that middle funnel. You know, discovery, medic is something that you talk about a lot, Megan. And overall, she's just kind of a badass. Okay, so I'm uh, I'm excited to have you, Megan. <laughs> yeah, excited to be here. Always a pleasure to to train together. So uh, before we get in, um, we got a bunch of folks here. Thanks for saying hi, everyone. A couple of quick kind of things that we want to do. One, if you have questions that come up, use the Q&A button at the bottom of Zoom there. And that way we can kind of filter out your questions from the chat and get to them. And the second thing that we want to do real quick is we're going to cover her discovery process, but we want to customize the content a bit for you. So I got a poll that I'm going to launch. And I'd love for you to take a second what are your biggest discovery challenges? So your single biggest challenge, mark that off in the poll there so we can get a better idea of where you're having the biggest challenges. Megan, does it allow you to see the poll or? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Okay. I tried to select one for myself. It wouldn't let me, but <laughs> even the trainers we have, we have our own challenges. Yeah. So it looks like discovery meetings or demos that don't convert is a big one that will let you know if we're interested. Oof, yeah, we'll fun. take a couple more seconds here. Yeah, let us know in the poll, you guys, what's your biggest single challenge in discovery for you? Can I ask you what yours is? 
from your discovery? I would say the biggest one for me of these, probably getting more senior people on the next call. Honestly, that's, that's mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of times we, especially with the larger companies, I have a lot of enablement people that reach out to me when yep. I want to be talking to the, the head of sales, the CRO, you know, every, all of these people think that they're champions. And a lot of times like we can't get budget. So yeah, my personal one. Yeah. I'm excited to dig into that one because that's kind of, you know, I teach a lot of outbound, but I get a lot of inbound requests and the inbound request yeah. is never from a VP of sales. You know, it's always someone working directly with the yeah. team and that's sort of here. Let me end the poll so that people can cool. see it. Yeah. Wow. Pretty much those first two. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. So good. We're definitely going to be covering those topics, Megan. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, let's kind of start bigger picture. When we're doing discovery, let's start with where do you see in the work that you do? Where do you see people making the biggest mistakes? Like what are some of the big things that when you work with a team of people or individuals, what kind of big mistakes are they typically making? That's making it harder than it needs to be. Yeah. So this is an interesting one. Um, I think that the most obvious for people is that they're talking too much. So much of discovery uh, training focuses on this where limiting talk time and really going beyond presentations and even from the outside looking in, so many times people are just overly relying on presentation decks. And the thing that I want to highlight is that while that, of course, is a huge issue, I think it even goes beyond that. Like, I think that one of the, the first issues is that we're just being too selfish in discovery. We show up to the meeting and we're like, okay, I need, I need to qualify. I need to show you all my presentation decks. I need to, it's like, the only thing we're interested in is getting what we want out of the conversation. And if you can imagine this, like people don't want to be a salesperson. They have this like huge aspect of them, like or perception of them that's selfish and salesy. So for mm -hmm. me, I think that being salesy, like when we really focus on an adversarial relationship where you're just getting everything you can out of the prospect versus an aligned approach, which is what I take, where it's human, it's having a conversation. It's, it's also like very aligned and and fair. It's like, Hey, let's figure out if this makes sense for both of us and then move forward. So it's, it's kind of this, what I'm hearing is this mentality coming into the call that yeah. I need to qualify. Basically, I need to make sure this is a good fit before I spend a bunch of time. And I'm going to spend more time asking the, you know, the band style questions, right? The budget, is this the right person? Do they have yeah. a need? You know, all of that kind of stuff. Or like you feel like you have an entire presentation deck because you created it. You spent so much time focusing yeah. on like on the process versus what you want to accomplish through the process. I call this like focusing too much on how versus what. This okay. is a lot, a lot of times what I see when people start to go into discovery. They're like, okay, I need to ask open-ended questions. I need to do this discovery flow but you don't focus on, again, like what all of those strategies are actually working towards. So if you just focus on the outcomes of discovery more than the process, the, a lot of times the, the process actually even flows more easily. Okay, let's dig in, because I just wrote a post yeah. about that yesterday, just promoting this uh, webinar, this how versus what concept is kind of interesting because the prospect kind of comes to you. We did this together, but you really, if we're being honest, did about three quarters of the work with that. <laughs> when, <laughs> no, when we put no. together a presentation with a sales call. Yeah. So one of the things that 
this how versus what concept is kind of interesting because when a prospect comes to you, they care a lot about how to fix the problem. They'll yeah. come to you and say something like sales training. We need a sales trainer because we're not converting. Like our people don't know how to do discovery well, or we're not closing enough work. Like we need, they've already identified what they think is the solution to their problem. And is it kind of stepping back then and thinking about, well, what are you trying to accomplish first? Is that the the difference between the two before you go in and talk about the solution and all the other stuff? Yeah. And I think setting expectations is a really big part of it. So um, even in the comments, someone, someone mentioned like, I found I can't always like get all of the things I need out of a 30 minute call. And yeah. so, yeah, like setting expectations is the very first step. And I personally have found that even if you just set expectations for what the call will be, like what you'll cover, what you won't cover, even what you, you may need to push to the next meeting. I think so many salespeople, we try to fit every single thing in a discovery call, but yeah. it's okay if, if, there, if we have to leave something for the next call because we're also like almost building something for the, we're building a business case and building interest. Like we want to leave them wanting more. So it's interesting because so many salespeople try to focus on the perfect talk track, the perfect questions and all these things. And while those things are very valuable, most of the time we just try to have control over the conversation. And the thing is with, with discovery you really can't control as much as we don't want to control. We want to have a really good conversation and we want to make sure that we're focusing on the most important things. And if that means sacrificing, like leaving a few things for the next meeting, it's actually good because it means that well, they're yeah. interested in a next meeting. Interesting. So we're kind of essentially, we want to put up some bumper guards, so to speak, to where yeah. we kind of know where the conversation is going to take place and we're able to keep it on track but we're not talking the entire time. We're not controlling that call. So yeah. what are we What are we trying to accomplish during discovery? And if you could kind of maybe comment also on, you know, you might be getting to this, so let me know if I'm skipping yeah. ahead. I think a lot of people want to know how long should the call be too? Yeah. You know, is it 30 minutes? Is it 45 minutes? Is it an hour? I'm sure that depends on the deal, your average deal size and that sort of thing. But what are we trying to accomplish in that first call? I'm going to start with the, what I see people doing <laughs> when I yeah. usually come into organizations, they're often doing anywhere from like, I've even seen like 15 minute discoveries, which is just like qualification. Honestly, you only really have time to qualify, but I see a lot of people doing a standard 30 minute discovery and pushing back on me when I try to urge them towards what I think, which should be like a 60 minute discovery. But let me tell you why. I have found that when you incorporate value-based discovery that's really focused on alignment, you set very clear next steps, I'm sorry, uh, expectations around why you need the time. And you're focusing on the value versus the time commitment, then it actually really is a lot easier to get a 60-minute presentation. And before you say, okay, our prospects don't have time for that, I've literally sold into companies like American Express, Home Depot, and we, we, I always leveraged 60-minute presentations. So why you need that time is because deals are literally won and lost in discovery. So if you do not, if you, I mean, Jason, you focus a lot on prospecting and you know how hard it is. You spend weeks, months, years getting a meeting. If you're not spending enough time uncovering the right thing so you can actually get the next meeting, 
you're wasting a lot of time, especially because you, um, in terms of like how long it could take you to re-engage them. Often it's like between three months on the low end and up to two years on, on the high end. So when we think about really what we want to accomplish, it's easy three questions. Why change? Why you? And why now? That is completely how my discovery flow is arranged. And if you focus on answering those three questions, even in in your notes, like what questions are you asking? How can, and I would actually say those personally, that I think they are linear and, and answering one at a time. These are very easy. Like this, everything flows a lot more easily when you focus on answering those three questions. However, (laughs) you'll realize that most sellers, they're only focusing on like maybe one question around why change. They uncover surface level pain and they immediately jump to why you. And a lot of times they don't even focus on why now, which is incredibly important to make sure we're actually driving urgency. Yes. I love this. That's just conceptually for me, that's changed a lot in how I look at even outbound because you're really like people are taking care of whatever it is that you can help with. They're already doing something to take care of that usually, right? They're doing it themselves. They have another solution, whatever it might be. And it's probably getting the job done for the most part. There might be some problems and stuff that they're having, but everyone's thinking, well, why should I, the change is really hard. Why should I consider doing something different? So, so with discovery, you're recommending that you block off an hour for it. And is there any kind of pre-call prior to that to see if it makes sense to spend an hour with someone? Yeah. And there's also a question in the chat in terms of like clarifying those questions. So we can definitely dig into that and then even figure out like, okay, how can you uncover these questions as much as you can do before the meeting to to prepare and also to uncover information, the more that you're going to be able to optimize the time. So when we say, why change, why you, why now? What we mean is why change? A lot of times we're like, okay, like what are the goals you want to accomplish? But change, I love what you mentioned, change is hard and people are adverse to it. I don't know about, you know, the the average sales cycle of your, uh, of the people on the call, but I would say um, a lot of times the companies I work with, the average sales cycle can be between three months and eight months. And it is really easy for someone on a first call where it's more exploratory to say, yeah, we want all of this. This is really cool and fun and innovative and awesome. And when I hear people using those terms to describe their, their solution, I get really worried because a lot of times there's a psychological framework uh, called loss aversion where it states that people are more likely to make change to avoid a loss or pain than to achieve a a gain. And why that's important is because, again, when when you think about committing to something, getting the client to not only commit to evaluating you and starting the process, but to literally go through the painful process of changing, you need to make sure that you discover enough from the very beginning So that when you, because it's really hard when you're in negotiation and they're like, oh, they're like backing away and they're like, oh, this is way more painful than I thought. I have to get legal involved. I'd go through the, even the process of procuring a solution is challenging. So you want to make sure that you have a really compelling reason for that why change. And by the way, it's not just because they want to, like sometimes I've literally, actually, we can even dive into a few examples from like what we hear as sellers. And I mean, we're salespeople ourselves. 
So when I ask people why they reached out to me, a lot of times they say, well, we need sales training. I don't know if you hear that, Jason. They're like, we don't have sales training and we need sales training. And I could stop there and I'm like, okay, they need sales training. They need deal qualification. Awesome. Let's do this. Let's, let me get you a proposal. But when you start digging deeper into why, like what is the sales training going to be solving? What are the deeper challenges? What, like, what could go wrong like, what, with training and really getting them to think about all of those challenges? I'm also going to just highlight that that could be very challenging in the process. We just talked about how, I mean, I'm, I work a lot with enablement and sometimes even sales enablement doesn't know the broader challenges of the sales leadership team. Sometimes they have more of a RevOps hat, like everyone has a a hat that they're wearing. So really helping them map those initiatives, it can be a challenging process, but it is critical. I'm doing a proposal this afternoon where I literally sent them like a list of metrics and they really like didn't have a lot. So I set the expectation that, that they would go to different team members and get some perspective on that. And through that process, they were actually able to to help me map it. But it takes a lot of collaboration. And this is actually why it's so important to have that collaborative alignment-based approach to discovery and to sales as a whole. Because if you're trying to like compete or not even compete, like if you're trying to, you know, have this relationship that's transactional with your your champion and, and with your discovery as a whole, you're probably just like racing to deal close or them ghosting you. Discovery yeah. takes a lot of a lot of work. This part gets me fired up because a lot of people complain about ghosting and what do I do when I get ghosted? Yeah. You just highlighted the reason why. If you can't pinpoint and go back to a problem they're trying to solve that's been quantified, where the example I always give is, you know, people want more meetings when they that's that's essentially the outcome that they want from me. How do we get more meetings so that we can close more deals? And yeah. if we haven't quantified your team on average per person is setting seven meetings a month and you need to get to 10. And that gap is going to create one more closed deal, you know, per month. And that's going to be an extra 300 K that our team needs to close that gap. And we know the reasons why it's like, now we have a problem that's costing them $300,000 a month to fix. If you don't have that, you can't really follow up with people. It doesn't make sense to schedule the next meeting because Sales training sounds like a nice, shiny object, like really fun thing. We're going to train our reps. If there isn't that compelling reason, like you said, the why change, like behind it, you're not going to be able to get senior people involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go to reach out to someone that's ghosted or whatever, you know, following up about sales training is very different than following up about a $300,000 per month problem. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, let's dig into that, you know, kind of part. So we have the why change, why you why now? Does it make sense to kind of go through the flow of the call? And do you want to start quickly with, you know, maybe how do we set the agenda and then how do we kind of get into these and what are some examples of how we can start to kind of poke and prod, I guess, around the why change, why you, why now? And we can give people some uh, examples of of what that sounds like. So you asked earlier as well about pre-call planning. So I do think that it is really important to figure out what you want to achieve out of the call. And when I say that, a lot of people focus on, oh, that is the agenda. But I think that really the, the, what, where we should be focusing on, um, an exercise I do with um, some of the teams I work with, is actually going beyond like 
figuring out, okay, what is the agenda? But more importantly, what are the outcomes for you as a salesperson? And what are the outcomes for the prospect on the other end of the call? And when I say the outcomes, I can say like ideal outcomes, but also what are the things that they always show up to the call expecting? And Mm -hmm. through that exercise, then you can figure out how you can actually set expectations that not only discuss what you want to achieve out of the call for them, but you're kind of working in some objection handling as well. So for me, what that looks like is the agenda is we're going to run through a quick round of introductions. You're probably going to have questions for me. I have some questions for you. And my goal for by the end of the meeting is for us both to understand if it makes sense to move forward. If we do think that it does make sense, then typically the next step would be a deeper call where we dive into the metrics. Well, we might need an NDA for that conversation. So we'll get that in place and that will allow us to build out a custom solution so that we can then price that. Does that sound fair? And built into that are a few (laughs) objection handling techniques. So typically when we figure out clients, like what clients want, the misalignments happen because clients typically I mean, it can be a lot of different things, but I see on average, they want like a demo on the first call. Not going to give a demo on the first call. I hope no one, I hope people aren't giving a demo on the first call. They want pricing on the first call. (laughs) And they thought like, they want a flow that feels conversational, not just too much of you just like going through uh, what feels like clinical lists of questions. You show up to the doctor and they're like, okay, like, what is this? What is that? Do you have this? Do you have like, you're answering questions. They don't want that. They want a conversation. So that's where I also see some people, clients giving feedback in discovery, the dreaded, Hey, I'm sorry. I thought I was here to learn about you and your company. Can you like get to that? Where's your presentation deck? So setting really clear expectations and working in some of those client objections can be really helpful for making sure you can actually over, like actually achieve the objectives. Okay. So the highlights there are, I'm going to have some questions for you. You're going to have some questions. So you're letting them know in advance that we'll get to answer your questions, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then you're talking about what the next step will be. These are very simple things, by the way, that when I listen to most discovery calls, people don't talk about what, what's going to happen at the end. Yeah. And by the way, it's honestly, people feel very psychologically safe when they know what to expect. And they, they feel, they know exactly what's coming. They just want to know that like, okay, even, even working in things like, I also will leave some space for technical questions, but I do want to highlight, even if your next step typically is a deeper technical conversation, setting the expectation that, hey, the, my goal for the end is simply for us to understand if we should have that technical meeting. Because we have you know only 30 minutes today, I usually just start a list of technical questions that if we do need to to park any of them so that we can cover those in the next meeting. Because so many times calls get like, figure out why why calls get derailed and then figure out workflows to make sure they can actually push them to the next meeting so that you can actually, if you see your 15 minutes into a 30 minute call and you haven't answered any of these questions, you can feel comfortable parking those questions and saving them for the next conversation. Yeah, the I love this idea. You shared this on a podcast we did together to yeah. the parking lot, you know, kind of thing where it's I'm acknowledging you when you have something that you want to talk about that we're not going to talk about on this call. I have to acknowledge you. Otherwise, it feels like I'm just like rejecting you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
like, you don't want the person to feel like you're shooting down what they're saying and that they don't feel important. It's like, hey, that's a really great question, Megan. I'm actually going to make a list. I have a list going and I have a few other things. It's definitely something we can cover on the next call when we do that deeper demo or technical discussion or whatever that next step is. And I think, by the way, Megan, for context for you, I think a lot of folks, at least coming from my audience too, are going to be maybe uh, mid-market as well. So the second call is probably going to be a demo, I think, for, for a lot of folks. Exactly. Um, so it's even like on the demo, it's yeah. an incredible opportunity when they're like, Hey, can you tell me a little bit more about this? You're like, I think using the improv technique of yes. And yeah, yeah. I would be happy to talk to you um, about that. Why don't we just for the sake of the time today, why don't we actually take that down? And that could be a key area of focus on our demo. We can actually build you out even some more custom information. So using like yes and techniques are a really valuable way of, you know, giving the client what they want, which is like a big pushback I get from people who are like, well, my client wants to see a demo or they need to hear pricing. They don't need those. Like they want to make sure that you, they have a basic understanding, but they're usually happy when you give them expectations for when you're going to cover that. Yeah. I don't ever get resistance on the first call about if someone asks about pricing at at the, I'll be pretty blunt with them in most cases, but I've never had anyone ask me to, I don't have software that I demo. There's kind of different parts. There's like, Hey, here's the course you get. Here's how the training works. Here's the training content. Yeah. I don't really have people ask that at all when you set a good expectation at the beginning. But Jennifer Curland has a question. I think that'd be a good answer. No demo on the first call. Why no demo on the first call? Because the thing is, for me, when you think about a demo, like what really is the a demo? A demo should be, in my opinion, um, it should be why you, if you're telling them why you before you understand what they're trying to accomplish, it's kind of like asking someone to marry you before you even know them. Like it's a big commitment. And it usually means that if you're doing that before you uncover the information, unless you're in a very transactional environment where the your solution is honestly pretty cut and dry, where there's no customization. And honestly, even in that environment, like we should still be doing a little bit of discovery. But you have to. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, um, and I think that w- the issue is that a lot of people try to do either or where they're like, okay, I'm only going to ask discovery and give them nothing about my product or my solution or what I do in the very first call. It's not either. So even I think this is a good um, conversation um, to kind of lead into how to apply the three whys because we need to find that balance. Yeah, someone even Peter mentioned in the chat, like we need to make sure that we even know what to demo and that's a good way to push back on prospects. But the thing is with a demo on the first call, especially if you only have a 30 minute call, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to have as much ability to to even gather information about how to tie what you're showing back to them. Yeah. So I think that's as a seller, right? Is when you're, when you're presenting something and you don't even know if that's what the people want to see. I hate that. It's the worst feeling ever. Yeah. It and it feel like uh, I'm pitching something that is just not even important to the person that I'm talking to. Yeah. So, and I think that the easier way to, to even show this is not to like slap someone on the wrist and say like, don't do a demo on the discovery, but actually show you what it could look like to really tie in, to really take, Hey, this is what we do into really why change and actually why you not only what you do, but like why you are the best solution that fits their needs. And the easiest thing, like you need to uncover their needs in order to actually answer that question. 
So what do you say, Megan? Because I think some people are kind of commenting on this too. They might be wondering. So you do your agenda, you set the agenda. And what if someone's like, well, Megan, I was kind of hoping that we'd get a demo today of the product. What do you, what do you say? It's honestly so simple. It's yes. And (laughs) this is like, it seems like such a, a weird way to answer this, but I literally say, hey, really excited to show you the demo. So why don't we look at our schedules? Let's go ahead and get that demo scheduled. And then before the demo, we just need um, to have a really quick conversation to make sure that we understand what to show in the demo. Why don't we get that scheduled as well? Yeah. The magic then- of that is that you're literally scheduling the next steps before the discovery call. So it actually is saving a process. If they want to see the demo, that's great. And then you just go ahead and say, hey, in order to do that demo, we need the, we also need a discovery call. So let's just schedule that. Then you basically schedule two meetings in one and you actually skip the the next, like skip even having a step, focus on the next steps because you already have them booked. I love that. What if they ask you in the disco call at the beginning of the disco call and they say, hey, one of the questions, because you asked them if they have any questions. Well, one of the questions yeah. I have is just how the product works, Megan. I was, I was hoping that we could see the product today. Yeah. So um, I think that few people mentioned it in the chat, but that mm-hmm. comes up all of the time. And again, just leaning in with yes and saying, hey, um, typically when people want to see the, the product on the first call, it means that they're, they're really eager to see how it works, to see a few use cases. And so I'm actually happy to talk through a few ways that clients are using our, our solution. The only thing I want to um, uncover today is we have our platform, our demo, whatever your, our solution is pretty extensive and very custom even if it's even if it's like fairly simple you can still use this we could show a lot of different things so what i want to um, actually share with you today is a few stories that will actually help me focus on what to sh- to dive into more deeply on the next call is that fair and jason you already mentioned you're like i usually don't get a lot of pushback yeah. on those talk tracks and i don't know if anyone else does like I, but i think that like even anticipating that question and having a really solid yes and talk track. That's actually one thing I think is really valuable. I know we haven't even talked about like the ideal flow, but one thing that I always have sales reps do because people really have this like need to feel control is to prepare for the unexpected. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of role plays with new um, sales hires. And the thing is that when they prepare for these role plays, they always prepare the talk tracks. They prepare the perfect situation. In a perfect world when clients have no objections, no misalignments on the expectations, no questions that derail the process, this is what it would look like. What percentage of your sales calls, Jason, go like that? I mean, they tend to flow the way that I want to, but in terms of, yeah, they compl- it goes in a different direction almost every yeah. single time. The like has something the- different that they want to get from the call. Yeah, when you have something that is like unexpected, even if it's just like a weird question or someone that doesn't show up that or someone that does show up, you know. So the thing that I always have people do is to actually prepare for the unexpected, to to really think about and be very proactive about like what are the misalignments that I get most often? People that want to show pricing, see pricing, people that like the thing is, instead of treating these as wait like reasons to not opt into this process or to give the client what they want. Think about these as just common objections, common questions that you just want to prepare for. How can you actually prepare responses in advance that are, you know, yes and techniques that yeah. will help you stay on track with your agenda 
versus derail it? Like we've got a lot around the agenda. I don't know if you want to just jump to like what the, the recommended looks like. Yeah, let's just jump into it. In terms of the discovery flow that I recommend, just for some context, I use the deal qualification framework that's pretty complex. It's called Medic. And it really is just based in why change, why you, why now? And you actually see like the flow of it following. So for me, I start with an upfront contract, which is basically the top track that I mentioned earlier. An upfront contract is a Sandler sales training technique. And it basically uses the psychological uh, phenomenon that states that people are more psychologically primed to commit to something bigger if they commit to something smaller earlier on. So an upfront contract is literally setting the expectations for the call, saying, kind of like laying out the terms of the call, if you want to think about it in that way. So the terms are, hey, this is the agenda. These are my outcomes. What are your outcomes? And if we achieve those mutual outcomes, would it be fair to move forward with this next step? And getting them to commit to that by saying, hey, is that fair? That works very well. And for me, I actually see it like really priming people to, to, you can even, even see them relax when you use this technique. People feel really, they're like, okay, perfect. I know exactly what is going to happen today. And even when people, when you ask people for their timing, like, hey, do we still have 30 minutes? They're like, oh yeah. Like I actually heard someone call. There's like, I actually only have 26 minutes. You're like, thank God I didn't leave the next steps for the last four minutes of the call, you know? Yeah. So just even using upfront contract, I think, you know, this is a pretty simplistic strategy, but it really sets the expectations for the call. And actually, even before that, like, I think that the typical agenda is setting expectations and getting them to commit to the outcomes, then going into why change. So really Mm -hmm. focusing on high level pain, gain, and the impact. I think even about scoping a little bit. So in terms of, I think this is where the why you, really figuring out a few things once you figure out why change, jumping into just as like, honestly, enough about the product and the solution so that you know what to dive more deeply into on the next call. And for me, I actually look at this as like, how can we get them to be excited about three use cases? And then using the next steps, as an excuse to uncover why now. And I think about this as four steps to simplify a little bit. I always think about how can I qualify, quantify, scope, and prioritize? And I'll put that in the chat. And the thing is, if you find this a little bit hard to remember, if you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to, how am I going to like on the fly ask questions like this? That is the point. We've talked about how a lot of times discovery can be all over the place. It's complex. So I don't rely on myself to remember any of this. I have a horrible memory and I'm not one of those people that just like shows up into sales and is like selling million dollar contracts off the bat. Like I took a lot of time to learn sales and to honestly to mature my technique. So I find it easiest to actually set these, like set these up, even focus on why change, why you, why now in a notes template that helps me almost like serve as a checklist. I put my questions in. I even put the questions next to the area where I have space for notes. And I really figure out the flow and remind myself constantly in the meeting what I'm trying to achieve. And that's how, again, it's like making it easier to focus on the outcomes versus actually even like making the the how really easy. 
And we're going to share that with you guys at the end, by the way. So, um, yeah. okay, let's dig into this why change the gain pain impact. You have a really yeah. kind of pretty simple way to segue into that. So what yeah. happens right after you share the agenda, you get the buy-in, how do you start digging into the why change piece? And what are some, some ways that you can get people talking about what they're working on and all that yeah. kind of stuff? So the funny thing is that it actually starts even before the agenda, I think about discovery as real estate, especially if you only have 30 minutes, you need to maximize every single question and every single minute of that meeting. And where I see a lot of people wasting time is in the introductions. I see people sometimes like, and not that this is necessarily bad, but I think it's just like, it's just kind of a wasted opportunity is asking like, oh, like, tell me about yourself. What if your prospect tells you like, oh, I like, I, I don't even know, like I like poetry or something. You're like, okay, cool. I'm going to put that in Salesforce and like maybe send them a poetry book. But also it is like, while it's a good opportunity to build a rapport, it's actually an even better way to jump into value from the very first minute in the first question you ask is something I call roles and goals. Yeah. When you ask a person to introduce themselves, just be more prescriptive and say, hey, let's start with a quick round of introductions. You can start with your intro and say, can you tell me more about your role and some of your key goals for the next two years? It's super high level. It's really broad and it's really easy. I love this question, by the way. What do people typically yeah. answer, by the way, when, when you uh, coach this? What do people typically answer with? Super specific information about their role and their key goals for the next like two years. And like, you're just like, that was, it was that easy. And it's funny because people always ask me um, in terms of their roles and goals, they ask me, well, doesn't that take up a lot of time in the beginning of the call? Isn't, aren't like introductions, like a third of the call, if it's a 30 minute call and you're like, yeah, you're, you're literally using a third of the call to uncover the most important question because if they tell you their key goals, then you can transition into some of the challenges when you actually start to ask, like get into the, of the meeting. So you're already just starting with a really important assessment of the, the things that they're focused on. And it just opens up, it, again, it's such an efficient way of uncover, starting with value. Yeah, and this is where, you, do you want to start to do some like quantification of what they're trying to so for example, a person says, you know, that I'm selling to, oh, our CRO just set these revenue goals and based on the funding that we have and like with our investors, we're trying to hit XYZ revenue mark. So we need to hire X amount of people to do that, et cetera. And is this where, because some people were asking about metrics and KPIs yeah. and is this where you just kind of simply ask, oh, how are you, how are you measuring whether that you're hitting that goal or not? How do you measure success? Is there, yeah. is there any other advice you have around how do we kind of quantify the stuff that they're working on? Yeah. And I want to highlight, by the way, this is the key to discovery is this piece. Everything has to tie back to their goal, priority, initiative, what projects. Those are the things that can create urgency, yeah. you know, for, for, for folks. But how, so how do we get people to quantify or give us metrics and, and why is yep. that important? So and I think you even asked the question originally is like, is the first question you asked roles and goals, is that when you like dive in? The thing is, because I use roles and goals as literally my first question when I'm like, hey, welcome to the meeting. Like, let's use some introductions. And I usually maybe ask one qualifying question or like clarifying question. But then I go into the, okay, thank you so much for sharing. We're going to dive into that a little bit more deeply. But let's just start with a context setting agenda because I usually do get, like, because we are giving kind of the elevator pitch, people like context before they like to like dive into the details. They like to know 
like, okay, like, what do you do again? And like, can you tell me a little bit about yourself before they know how to answer your questions deeply? So I do um, use roles and goals, then do the upfront contract, and then um, give like a tiny elevator pitch about the solution so they have enough context to even understand what they should be including or like why they should be answering your questions and in what context. And then this is such a common question. How do you actually get them to give you meaningful, high level, and broad pain, gain, and impact? Because so many times I see people simply asking, hey, can you tell me like what keeps you up at night? When you ask these like really like questions, you can, you get so many different types of responses. But for me, what I see a lot of times happening is that they're just more lower level responses. So what I would recommend is the easiest way to dive in to meaningful and diverse goals and pains and being able to quantify them. Actually, we can focus on quantification in one minute. I use a strategy called value drivers. And to simplify this, the thing that you need to understand, like this is kind of a sales hack, most of the value that any company, whether it's our training or a SaaS solution, like what, no matter what it is, most value fits into four buckets. And if you can kind of figure out how to customize these to your prospects, your clients, it's a really easy way to actually play this back and then dive in. So most clients are looking to increase revenue. Even if they're a nonprofit, they're looking to increase donations, increase brand loyalty and brand value. So that could be like streamlining the customer experience or increasing the amount of spend per clients that are existing clients, like whatever that is, even um, brand awareness and perception, critical. Third is operational efficiency and effectiveness. They're trying to do those two things, but like also do it in a scalable way. Fourth is they're trying to mitigate risk and manage compliance. So to figure out how to kind of use those in discovery to uncover goals and pain, I typically say very simplistic, hey, most of my clients are trying to achieve one of three things. I don't even focus on risk and compliance because it's not as big to usually, you know, a company will have three out of the four that they focus on primarily. And I say, typically people are trying to do three things with me. They're trying to increase their overall revenue and the sales performance. They're trying to increase quota attainment and rep engagement. And they're trying to be able to effectively scale the teams through both onboarding and new and promotions from within. I'm curious how your own goals compare to those. And people like, I've literally had their responses like, um, all three. (laughs) And you're like, okay, that's good. But when I ask like, hey, what are some of your goals? Again, in roles and goals, it's usually more specific. So you see how if I only like, if I even just ask them more broadly, hey, what are you focused on? It's just like, okay, like where do I start? So if you can actually use a talk track or use a, even a slide, if you have a presentation to play those to the customers and then ask them to compare their own goals, it is a huge opportunity to have something to reference. So you can dig deeper because what I find is that it's a lot easier to give them some options, especially because a lot of clients, like they're just thinking they're wearing their hat. So one of those goals must be, is likely most important to them. But when you actually start playing them broad, high level goals, they're like, oh yeah, like I actually had this with my proposal I'm I'm presenting today. The head of enablement was like, my primary goal is to launch a deal qualification framework. 
And I'm like, okay, well, like what's driving that? They're like, oh, well, I just launched a new sales process and I want to make sure like no one's following it. And I'm like, okay, well, what happens when people don't follow the process? And he was like, well, and he had to think about it for a minute, but he was yeah. like, honestly, what happens is that like the sales and CSMs are really misaligned. And I'm like, okay, well, like what part of the process is typically broken? He's like the handoffs. When people, when we have to hand off from sales to CS, there's a ton of misalignment. And I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean for the clients? And he was like, well, they're really frustrated. They have to give information twice. They usually, and I was like, ooh, that doesn't sound good. And he's like, yeah, usually it means they don't see ROI as fast. And I was like, what does that mean for first year, first year contracts? He's like, well, most of the time they don't renew as quickly. They usually takes them two years to renew. And again, I'm going pretty fast, but to kind of show you the process, he was like, okay, I asked, um, what is it, what would it mean if you were able to actually not only renew and upsell clients much faster because they saw the streamlined, we had more streamlined handoffs and we, they just had a better overall client score, client, you know, um, you know, NPS. He's like, that would be huge. And I even said, well, also, I just want to highlight that a lot of my clients also focus not only on client health, but deal health with qualification. So I'm also curious, like what it would look like if your clients came in healthier, not even like even before the handoffs, what would happen if you were able to, and I was like, what would it even mean for clients to be healthier? He's like, oh, well, if the deals are healthier, then they would just land with more products. And you could see the wheels turning where he's like, oh, okay. The, I know that the CEO is really upset with the client handoffs. He's like, yeah, you should put that. Like, he's like, also, we have this initiative. I didn't even think about connecting it to this, but we have an initiative for client help that is known within the, like, the entire organization. And the head of sales specifically is going to be really interested in his big pain point right now is internal alignment. So you see how, you know, asking, like playing some of those core metrics in the value drivers to my champion got me from, we need deal qualification because I just launched a small, like a project to actually figuring out why that project was even launched and what broader initiatives and personal initiatives of the senior stakeholders it mapped to. I know this is something we've been geeking out a lot on. Yeah. I want to go back because Lisa in the chat said often yeah. IT people start with their projects and not higher level goals. You basically yep. gave a blueprint of that's great. Get them to keep talking about that project and why it's important. How does it fit into the bigger picture? And it's because you know that this is now an initiative from the CEO. You know that there's a company-wide initiative around customer health coming in. Yeah. And you know that you can quantify and start to create some a business case for how much would this grow revenue if people came in more primed and, and ready to buy more stuff from us because they were having a better experience? It's like yeah. those are all, people are not going to ghost you when you're talking about something that relates to a priority across the entire company that the CEO is focused on. They're just not going to ghost you. Yeah. And I also want to highlight, I think as a, as new salespeople, you're hearing me ask questions that I will say are fairly complex and rely on, you know, specialty within my, mm -hmm. my industry. But the cool thing about value drivers for me, especially when I'm going into a new company where I'm, I don't know those questions, like those more complex questions to ask, mm -hmm. even showing them, hey, these are the four areas that we drive value, giving them something that you don't even have to remember, you know, even if you kind of like write out those talk tracks, 
it's actually easier to for new salespeople. So it, it's actually one of those hacks that is easier because it doesn't rely on you having to like ask deeper questions. It's really just like showing them something and having them respond to it. And then just asking deeper questions. Like I think we had a, I can share with one of my favorite frameworks for asking better questions is really easy. Ted, tell me, explain to me and describe to me. You can just ask, kind of play some things back to them and then ask them to dive deeper. It's a really easy way to just get them talking more, to lower your talk time, to uncover more, and to make sure that you're actually able to uncover why change, why you, and why now. Yeah, I love that. Let's get to, because we got about five minutes left. Let's see if we can get to a couple of questions. Jennifer Kurland, she's got great questions today. She asked, how do you feel about sharing a range of pricing during discovery? We often use that to further qualify the prospect. Yeah. So I think this question is very specific. I'm going to give you kind of like the best practice and then just like the reality. Starting with the reality, the reality is that your your sales manager will have very specific um, opinions on how he wants he or she wants you to share pricing on a first call. So I would actually align with um, sales leadership on that. But from my perspective, I actually, when people ask me for pricing on the first call, the yes and approach to that, actually, let's say like the typical approach is like, hey, we can't share the information. Like, you know, we usually take a little bit longer, et cetera. Yes. And however, is, um, hey, happy to give you some information on pricing. Typically, when people ask about pricing in this early in the conversation, they're really just under, they're wanting to understand if it's $3,000, $30,000 or $300,000. They want to know where it fits into their budget and how the pricing work. Is it subscription-based? Is it, you know, programmatic, et cetera? Is that fair to to say? They're like, yeah, I just want to like a ballpark. That's what I said. (laughs) They're like, no, you asked for a price. But even understanding that and kind of playing it back, like why they would want pricing, I do think that I would first push back on them and say, hey, typically we give pricing. Our pricing is extremely custom. So normally we just need to uncover a little bit more about the use cases this is what our pricing is based on, whatever it's like usage, number of employees, whatever. And so I think that'd actually be some good information to capture before the next call. Would you be able to put that together? And even just like showing, pushing them to the next call. Yeah. But if you do want to give a range and if your sales leadership is comfortable with that as a qualification criteria, you can do that. But I also just want to highlight that like, it's also a great opportunity to actually answer with a question. By the way, like, do you have budget already built out for this? What is the budget? Whose budget will be coming from? So there's a lot of different strategies around pricing, but I think that like personally starting with giving them information isn't where I typically start. Yeah, I don't like it. It depends on what you're selling to, but especially at large mid-market and enterprise level, it just doesn't do you any favors to talk about pricing and be overly transparent about something that you don't even know like you don't know really what the range could be because you don't yeah. know the use cases, but you could also, if you're talking to someone that came inbound and they're they're just trying to talk to you to get some ranges so that they can bring it back to their boss and talk about it. When you haven't established like the why change piece and you haven't quantified the problem, people find budget if the problem is really big. If they came yeah. in and only wanted to spend $30,000 and you show them that it's like a $5 million problem, people are willing to spend more money to fix it. You and know, this so is also opportunity. This is why I do not like using bants. I think that we as SaaS salespeople are too bants heavy because we're like, hey, do you have budget? Do you have enough? Like, do you have thirty to sixty thousand dollars? And 
by the way, if I talk to most of my, and when I say my, even my last company, we budget was never built out because like we were not replacing or an incumbent. We had to build budget. So it wasn't even an option to say like, Hey, do you have 30 to $60,000 for this project? They would have been like, no, they're like, okay, bye. We would have had no deals. So I know that it's hard. Like it's easy to just like ask them that question and to qualify them out if they don't have that budget. But in my experience, exactly what you stated, if you can uncover the why change, you will be able to connect with senior stakeholders that do have budget or have the ability to build budget. Yep. Getting off of my soapbox, I wouldn't talk <laughs> about pricing on the first call, but that's just my experience and opinion. Hey, this has been really great, Megan. I want to <laughs> drop in. There's a couple links. Let people know, and I'll drop these in as you're you're kind of talking. Where should people go to connect with you? I'm dropping in your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, LinkedIn is great. Content's great. Yeah, and I also just want to highlight, like, even just a plug for you, Jason, that I know we talked a lot of, like, verbal people are asking, like, hey, like, can you give us the framework? This is pretty complex. Jason, we're literally doing a training tomorrow for your group where we're going digging deeper, giving, like, the full playbook or resources. So if you do want some of those resources, it's a great reason to to check out Jason's program. No, I appreciate that. Aimless plug for you. (laughs) Make sure to check out, I dropped the discovery call template into there too, that document. It's a view only document. So just click on file and make a copy. So you have your own, but uh, thanks for the participation, everyone. This is really great, Megan. I appreciate you coming and spending time with us. I got a lot from this. I love this. Why change? Why you, why now? If you can look at discovery through that lens and think about what you're trying to accomplish before you go into it, it helps really kind of drive those questions and prevents the whole ghosting thing that people are having so many challenges with. So appreciate you coming on, Megan. Absolutely. Bye, everyone. All right. Later, everyone. Have a good one. We'll see ya. All right. That was a fun one with Megan. One of the basic, basic things to do that I think is a really easy thing to implement is this roles and goals. That was a game changer for me is what's this person role? What are they trying to accomplish in the next year or two? It gets them thinking really big and it also gets them thinking about stuff that might get in the way that they could volunteer as well. So roles and goals, that was a big action item for me. And I appreciate you tuning in today. What would really help before you take off is uh, this podcast. Obviously, it's free. It does take time to create these and to edit them and all that other stuff. And one thing that helps with that is if we can get more people listening to the show. And the best way you can help with that is by leaving a review and subscribing wherever you leave podcasts. So if you're listening on you know, iTunes, podcast player, Stitcher, whatever it is, subscribe, leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. And appreciate you spending an hour on the show today. All right, we'll see you next episode.